Good morning. It's good to be gathered together this morning. Turn in your Bibles to Jonah. Now, again, that may be a little bit hard to figure out. It's in the Old Testament. It's around Obadiah. It's around Amos, Nahum. And uh, we're doing a series in Jonah. And last week we started with the, uh, the approach of the fact that God makes appointments. God makes appointments. And He is sovereign. He is in control. And the challenges that we face with understanding how God works, what is God doing, where is God going, and how does that apply to us, is a big part of why we're studying the book of Jonah. It just works. No matter who you are in this room or who may be uh, viewing on our vodcast, this just works. Because Jonah, in who he is, reflects some of the best of humanity and some of the worst of humanity. This book truly reflects the tension between man and God. And more so, it really points to the magnificence of who God is. It draws a, a gigantic disparity between God in His character and who man is in His character. And so this morning as we continue, now we, will, uh, we did an intro last week, now we get into the book I have a quote for you this morning, the idea or what we're focusing on, by the way, you can take out uh, in your bulletin, there is an area for sermon notes, and you can fill these in as we go. But there's a quote that, uh, connected to this idea of being a spiritual runaway. The title today is Jonah, the traits of a spiritual runaway will be in Jonah 1, 1 through 3. And the quote says this, Speaking about a spiritual runaway, a spiritual runaway is the highest form of personal idolatry. Did you ever think in those terms? And how would that be? Well, when we look at Jonah and we think about this quote, let's look at it again. A spiritual runaway is the highest form of personal idolatry. That is a demonstrative statement. I mean, you need some credibility to back that one up. It is to say, I see better than God, I know better than God, choose better than God. Now, are you starting to make the connection to Jonah? Good. You know, 120,000 Ninevites would beg to differ. And we will get to that at the end of our study. But that's what's at stake. 120,000 Ninevites. All would have perished if it had been left up to Jonah. And I would dare say if it had been left up to you and I. What are the parallelisms? One for us to struggle with is it's not just 120,000. It's closer to 200,000 just in our community. That if we fail, if we become a spiritual runaway like Jonah, for all our personal reasons, 
what's going to happen to those individuals according to Scripture, according to the Lord. And many of us may say, well, it's God's job to convince. Well, then He didn't need Jonah, did He? And He certainly doesn't need you. Does He? I hear it all the time. that It's the Holy Spirit's job to convince people. I agree with that. Amen. Funny thing, almost every time I look in Scripture, the Holy Spirit works through someone. Almost every time I see in Old Testament, God works through a prophet, a messenger. Agreed? If those people said, I refuse, I'm going to run and book the next Uber to Tarshish, what happens? If they say, well, somebody else will do it. They're better at it than me. What if Moses had said, enough is enough. I'm no good at this. Are you kidding me? Do you know what it would be like for me to go back to Egypt? What about the parallelisms for us today? Well, let's give you some background and some history, shall we? This is from WikiJare. The background of Nineveh. Google that. See if you come up with any. No, don't. Don't Google that. The book was written somewhere between the 8th and 3rd centuries or 5th centuries. That's a little bit debated. There's no known author. Uh, the genre of the book, that means in what style was it written. There's some... Uh, argument throughout the years and really it has to do mostly with the miracle of what happened with Jonah being saved by the fish and and those who are naturalists or materialists don't like to agree with the idea that uh, that that actually happened so how do they deal with that how do they solve that they solve it by simply saying that this story is an allegory yet scripture would tell us otherwise. Scripture would say that the genre here is historical. Why is that important? Because if you take the miraculous out of the spiritual, it's no longer spiritual. Does that make sense? If we take the miraculous out of the spiritual, it's no longer spiritual, it's just the material. Then there's nothing unique or special or endearing about what Christ did for us or what the Lord did for us or God did for us. It is amazing that one of the greatest miracles that happens for each of us is the coming to the realization that we need a Savior. Coming to the faith of following in footsteps of our calling to the Lord. That is the greatest miracle. Jesus Himself said it's easier for a camel to go through what? Through the Oakland Zoo. No, He didn't say that. You're right, through the eye of the needle. Then for someone to inherit the kingdom of heaven. What an amazing thing. And so we cannot take the miraculous out of this engagement. Neither shall we do this when it comes to the book of Jonah. It is not allegory, as some would suggest. They have a maligned nature and agenda to say that. It is a historical one. And pretty much predicated by the fact that Christ Himself refers to this out of Matthew 12. What else can we share with you? Well, it's not just relegated to the idea of the book of Jonah telling us this. Nineveh was brought up in both the book of Nahum uh, and, and Zephaniah. Both of those prophets prophesied against Nineveh as well. Uh, where is Nineveh? Let me take you here. Uh, by the way, let me give you a little background on Nineveh. Nineveh was a brutal, it's the Assyrian civilization. And it's one of the most ancient civilizations that existed. It was one of the biggest uh, kingdoms that existed. 
and it fluxed and, and went back and forth. And we often hear about how great Rome was, but Rome uh, uh, spread out, right? It spread out incredibly across the Mediterranean, and then it just went back. Assyria, interestingly enough, spread out incredibly over that region, mostly over Iraq, Iran, uh, Turkey, that region, but a little bit further beyond, including Israel, uh, Judah, and a little bit of Egypt as well. And then it retracted a little bit. But because of their brilliance of administration and the systems that they had set up and how they ruled, they went back and they conquered even more. And that's where we see a little bit of what happens here in this time where Jonah prophesies. It's a time of peace for Israel when it comes to uh, the Assyrian captivity. Assyria ended up having its own internal struggles and problems, and so it pulled back from all these outlying lands it controlled. And that allowed uh, Jeroboam II to uh, continue in growing the kingdom actually larger than Solomon had it, even though Jeroboam was an evil king. God still blessed, even though the king was evil. Now that's happening during the flux of where Assyria had to come back and, and, and kind of regain some territory. And so they're, they're in a little bit of a challenging time from being a great, great civilization, ruling nation, feared amongst all the civilizations surrounding them, all the cultures surrounding them. And they're kind of, they're kind of back down to this, and there's some internal strife and struggle that's going on. But let's look a little bit as to who the Ninevites were. They were a city of bloodshed. I remember going to the British Museum and actually seeing uh, this giant winged, um, I, I don't know if they called it a griffin at that time, but it was a lion with a head with a man and, and uh, wings of an eagle. These were gigantic and they were uh, moved over 90 miles. And and moved into a position, lifted 90 feet. I can't remember the tonnage of these, but it is immense. And so you start to get an idea that, that the Ninevites, while a bloodthirsty people and, and brutal in their warring, they held garden parties. The Babylonians learned a few things from them. They had incredible uh, doctors, incredible writing, incredible intellect, incredible libraries and incredible uh, engineering because they were able to lift these 90 feet in the air up and over an escarpment and, and place them at the gate, one on each side of the gate. And now they sit in the British Museum. Who would have thought it? But here you see some of the reliefs that were along the walls, and this is how they recorded their histories. You see the brutal decapitation of the enemy here. You see uh, all the bodies that are laying around after a siege. It is stated in their histories that they would fillet people, their enemies. They would skin them alive and leave them in the sun to die from baking. They would take the children and they would light them on fire and kill the children through fire. So, our equivalent today is to compare every um, malignant, tumorous leader to Nazis, right? That's our thing. The Nazis look like Boy Scouts compared to the Assyrians. 
and what they did. So why take all the time to give you the background here? I just ate up half my preaching time. Because now you might understand why you might head to Tarsus if God told you to go speak to the Assyrians. Does that make sense? All right, hopefully I've done a good job. I like this little travel map. It's like, like a travelocity thing. Of uh, He didn't make it that far. Somewhere in here, you know, they throw him over the ship. We'll get to that. And then he travels over here to Nineveh. Nineveh is actually where modern Mosul is. You've heard the word Mosul from Iraq. That's where Nineveh is. And so uh, this travel map of the spiritual runaway. We're tracking him. We have a tracker on him. God had a tracker on him. And this is the sophistication of uh, the entire city uh, at that time. And the Tigris River ran right through it. So let's, let's look at some specifics, starting with the Scripture itself. We're going to be in verses 1 through 3. It says this, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Do you hear an emphasis here? Tarshish is actually mentioned three times. The Lord remembers when we decide to run away from Him. He remembers the futility of the... The plans we make. Right? And we think, oh, I'm, I'm going to head this direction. Isn't it ironic that the Lord decided to say, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh. We're going to record this for civilization upon civilization to hear, for this to be preached to all the children of the world over and over, and then I'm going to remind everybody three times, not just one, three times what your brilliant plan was, Jonah. Tarshish? Tarshish, Tarshish. It's just Fargashe, Tarshish. <laughs> Good luck with that. Yeah, people are out there trying to say it. Well, let's look at this idea this morning of a spiritual runaway. The first point today is the test of God's calling. Do you see it? Do you see the test of God's calling for Jonah in the, in the first few verses here? Obviously, it was a test. There was some tension. If there wasn't some tension, why would he run from the presence of the Lord? How many of you are into running from the presence of the Lord? Now, I know the conversation you're having in your head. Well, I would never do that. God is gracious. God is good. God is the supplier of all my needs. You know, Jonah said the same thing. Jonah, you can look in 2 Kings chapter 14 and and when he ruled during the time of Jeroboam, what did we say about Jeroboam? The kingdom was decreasing in turmoil, having wars with one another, or was it, was it blowing up? Was it a time of peace? Was it a time of, of excelling? It was the latter. Oh, guess who got to announce that to everybody? Jonah did. Don't you love to be the person who shows up at the door with the publisher's clearinghouse giant check? Don't you want to be that person? Well, that's what Jonah got to do during the first part of, of his employment as a prophet. But 
To follow the Lord and to be God's messenger sometimes requires you to say the whole message and to do the entirety of God's will. And so suddenly there's a test for Jonah. Jonah, not always are my asks or my callings or my requirements going to be easy for you. So here it is, Jonah. Here it is. The test of God's calling. Number one, God is at work. We need to understand this, that God is at work. What does He say here? He says that their evil has come up before me. What does this tell you about your God? It tells you that God is always watching. He's always listening. He's always seeing not just your own life, but all things. Our last point today will have everything to do with trust. How worried are you about the politics of this nation? How worried are you about the people starving down in Venezuela and have been for the better part of four years? How worried are you because today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday about the millions that have been brutally sacrificed in the name of humanity by our civilization? Oh, pastor, you go too far now. That's a political thing. You need not touch on that. It's my privilege to serve on the board of Options for Women. As a matter of fact, I um, just heard something very interesting by my predecessor, Pastor Steve Hunt, over at Calvary Temple, now the Bay Church. And he said, we're losing the cultural war in the church. We're losing the cultural war. That the idea of... Now, here's what's interesting is you all shuddered when I talked about how the Ninevites went and killed children. How brutal does a society have to be to kill their children? But you know, if you can get a doctor to sign off and say, well, it's not really a child, it's not really a human. You know, the, the polemic with that is very simple. You're putting a lot of trust in an individual that may not have any moral fiber. The driving force is to why we have allowed ourselves to dismiss, just like Germany dismissed the actions of its leaders, just like every civilization has dismissed atrocities and turned a blind eye, is one simple word that affects us all. Convenience. When somebody's life interferes with my convenience, if I can find a way to justify it in the eyes of the public, not God, but in the eyes of the public, I'll allow myself to do anything. By the way, we're not just talking in Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. We're not just talking about the abortion issue. That's why I mentioned things that are going on worldwide. There are atrocities that are happening to people all over the place. And the biggest problem, brothers and sisters, is that we lack the value of human life as God sees human life. We have substituted ourselves in the area of wisdom. We have supplanted God. And we have said, we are wiser than you. 
And therefore, we are justified to do just about anything we want. What does God say? Their evil speaks to me. I certainly hope and pray that we get the same compassion. By the way, that's one of the themes, the primary theme of the book of Jonah is God's compassion. I certainly hope this nation receives God's compassion and not His his hand of wrath. Because what you see happen in the book of Jonah is God reaching out with compassion and the opportunity for repentance and reconciliation rather than retribution. And that's a point that's coming up. God is at work. He's always listening. He's always paying attention. And He's intervening. Whether it's with a nation or whether it's with an individual. So this point applies not just to Nineveh. It applies as well to Jonah. Do you see that? He's... He's doing as much with Jonah as he is doing with Nineveh. God works through people. Jonah is God's personal messenger. I hinted on this just briefly a little bit ago, talking about the fact that often we say it's the Holy Spirit's responsibility to do the work. Uh, I, I don't find that in Scripture. I find that it's God's will being worked out through men in obedience and faithfulness that brings about reconciliation and repentance. We see this demonstrated here. Now, when men try to do it without God, we have a huge problem. So let's be clear. Let's be clear. But the big challenge for us is this idea is that God works through people. But the people always wanted book an Uber to Tarshish. Right? Let God do it. He's bigger than me. He is bigger. And for some reason, He's chosen you and I to be the vessels, you and I and Jonah to be the vessels of His message. 120,000 Ninevite and cattle are at stake. Over 200,000 in Concord are at stake. And God has told us, if there's anything we should have learned in the book of Acts, is that God has told us we are His messengers. That's why it's part of our mission statement here at CBC. God works through people. Jonah is God's personal messenger. God works in mysterious ways. And here's my point about redemption, not retribution. You will find out at the end, after Jonah finally obeys, that his attitude issue that made him flee to Tarshish was that he knew this character of, comp, uh, uh, of compassion by God his Father. He knew. He says, his very words are, I knew you were a God of compassion and that you would allow these hideous, hideous people to experience the same relationship with you that your chosen people? Ooh, little racism little racism, little bias that existed back in the day. It's amazing what the barriers are that we will set up and we will want God's retribution on a people rather than His hand of compassion and reconciliation. Lest we forget, we were enemies of the Lord at one time as well. Amen? And it's because of that same compassion and reconciliation that we're afforded the opportunity to have beautiful relationship and redemption with Him. So, the test of God's calling, 
God works in mysterious ways. So much of that time, it does not work for us. Right? It's not how we would have done things. It was the easy sell on how to get Jesus to the cross because it didn't work with the religious leaders of the day for Jesus to preach what He was preaching. It turned everything over. But God works in mysterious ways. It is amazing how God's people, Jonah, Pharisees, ourselves, can lose track who's in control. Whose party is this anyway? It's the Lord's. And when we feel like we know better than God, we put ourselves on the throne over Him. And that, in fact, is idolatry as defined by God Himself. Let's go to the next point. God is unbiased in His forgiveness, His unforgiving pursuit, his unre- and is unrelenting in his expectation. The test of God's calling for you and I to learn from Jonah is to understand that if God desires and his will is that you participate with him in something, please don't book any boat passages to Tarshish. Because it ain't going to work out well for you. To struggle against the Lord is foolishness. And brings harm. And yes, you can recover like Jonah recovered. But sometimes, brothers and sisters, they're scars. But there is forgiveness. And to understand that beauty of God. Remember the words of Christ as the very ones who put Him on the cross are below Him, reviling Him. And what does He say in His closing breath? Father, what? Forgive them. They know not what they do. What a helpless, hapless group of people we are. God's ways are mysterious, but thank God He's unbiased in His work of forgiveness. He's unforgiving in His pursuit and unrelenting in His expectation. The traits of a spiritual runaway. I know this is the point you've been waiting for. Wait, I need to check and see if I'm a spiritual runaway. Okay, what are they? And where did you get these from? Zig Ziglar? Who'd you get these from? John MacArthur? Who'd you get these from? All right, Francis Chan? I don't know. (laughs) Number one, Jonah encountered a challenge from God. You're probably not going to need to run away unless you get a challenge. (laughs) Does that make sense? Jonah didn't run prior when everything was great, when everything was handed to him. Hey, Jonah, I want you to tell the people they're going to thrive. They're going to have prosperity. Okay, God, I'm going to try, but, you know, I'll really push myself. Hey, Jonah, I want you to go to the Ninevites, the most hated people. You're probably going to suffer a, a torturous death. Or at best, they'll release you and my will will be done and you're going to have to go back to your people and you'll be the one responsible for giving the message that was only to your people and passing that on to your very enemies. Oh, hey, Jonah, you think that's going to play out well for your 401k there in Israel? You think you're going to be highly regarded back home anymore? Did you ever think about that with Jonah? It wasn't just the fear of what he was going to face with the Ninevites. I think there was a lot of it that the humiliation of being the person chosen to go to that group of people. When I was the messenger for God, boy, that comes with some accolades. That comes with some ego, doesn't it? Now you're going to have to take that message and go to the very enemies. You are not going to be received well when you get back home. 
What are the traits of a spiritual runaway? Almost always you encounter a challenge from God. There has to be a push, a tension that makes you want to run from the presence of God. Next, Jonah embraced fear rather than faith. How many of us struggle with this? We embrace fear rather than faith. Our spiritual decisions, our following in pursuit of God the Father, all of that is based in fear. Well, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, maybe we fear hell. Well, that's a healthy thing. But how many people actually ended up experiencing hell because they came to some kind of a rally and were just told, hey, just say these words and you'll no longer go to hell. And the truth of what it means to follow Christ in true faith was never spoken to them. And they go on the rest of their life thinking, hey, I said certain words and somebody prayed over me, so I'm there. I'm good to go. We should fear a false sense of relationship with Christ. We should fear that. Other than that, fearing what God has for us to do, fearing God's will is a natural reaction. We see it in Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, do we not? And yet he said, Father, your will, not my will. It's not that we won't have that initial spark of fear. It's what we do with it. The fear rises up and it, it overtakes the sense of faith. Now you're talking about an individual who received the Word from the Lord. Who saw God's work happen through His message. And yet he still fears to the point where he says, I no longer what? I no longer trust you. My sense of what I need to do is more important than your will. I'm going the other way. What happened? He lost a healthy fear of God. And that was supplanted by a healthy fear or an unhealthy fear of man and of his own struggles. So Jonah embraced that fear. And, and I want you to hear this clearly. Again, fear will be a natural reaction. It's whether or not you embrace it or not. Jonah embraced it. Jonah escaped the presence of the Lord. Didn't he? He escaped the presence of the That was his whole plan. How many of you made a plan on how to get here this morning? Well, each of you succeeded. Okay? Congratulations. Jonah made a plan. Kind of got down the road a little bit, out in the ocean, he never escaped the presence of God. Brothers and sisters, if you are God's child, you cannot escape the presence of God. Go back and think about the earliest essence of this or demonstration of this. It happened with the creation of man. And when Adam and Eve supplanted God's wisdom and instruction with their own rationale, Right? My will, not your will. I no longer trust fully the instructions you gave us, which was for our benefit. But I'm going to rationalize why I'm going to go against your will. And Adam and Eve played the idolatry game. 
And they said, our will is more important than your will. Very contrary to who Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what happened after they ate and they sinned? They what from God? They hid. How'd that work out for them? Isn't it foolish? So many of us think we can hide from God because we don't go to what? Church. What you're not aware of is we've put cameras in your homes. <laughs> We're tracking you all the time. We run that B-roll film right on up to heaven and say, uh, you need to access time code 32 hours. And What was our first point? God is always listening. He's always seeing. He's always watching. If you are His, you do not escape His presence. Now, you can be in the same room with someone and then be completely disconnected because there's sin, because there's tension, because there's fear, because that can exist. But you cannot escape the presence of God. So Jonah was a little foolish here. By the way, again, a trait of someone who is a spiritual runaway. There's always a tension for those in the pastorate. We have to balance the whole idea of what's going on here in the Bay Area. That statistically, if you're in church once a month, you're a faithful attender. Statistically. Twice a month, you should get a star next to your name. Three times a month, you should... I don't know. You should get a bonus program. I don't know what. But, but uh, it, it, it's just this sense of pastors trying to figure out when do we call if we don't see you? You know, because what happens on our end is if, if like two weeks go by and we call and we say, hey, and you're like, hey, uh, I don't need the guilt trip. You know, I was sick or I was traveling or I was this, you know, just relax a little bit. It's like, okay, all right. Hey, just don't, don't, don't want to upset you. Just want you to know, I, I, I'm just checking in to see how you're doing. Aren't we funny people? We're funny people. Jonah escaped the... No, he didn't. Jonah exchanged roles with God. This is one of the biggest determiners of a spiritual runaway. Jonah believed that he knew what was best. He stopped trusting God and he started listening to himself. And again, going back to that earlier quote, this is the highest form of idolatry that we can commit. Last point this morning. The trust required to live in God's favor. What does that mean? Well, because what I've been reading to you is kind of heavy. <laughs> the way this starts out is heavy. We have God's man rejecting God and running away. What do I do with that? Well, I preach it. And then we have to look at it in a, in a duplicitous manner. We have to say, how does that apply to me? In what way do I need to learn from this? What can I glean from it? Well, one of the things we do glean and we walk away with this morning is understanding the trust required to live in God's favor. How do we take this idea of Jonah running away or maybe ourselves at different times in our life or people we know running away from God? We have to look at the challenge of how do you keep from running away? And it's shrouded in this whole understanding of trust. The trust required to live in God's favor. Repentance leads to trust. You can write that down, because that's good stuff. 
Repentance leads to trust. We're going to get to that uh, in a couple weeks. First we see the repentance of Jonah, then we'll see the repentance of the Ninevites. Oh man, I just blew the whole movie, didn't I? We'll see the repentance of the Ninevites as well. You cannot experience repentance without trusting in that which you're turning to. Repentance means I'm heading towards Nineveh. Oh, wow, that's a really scary idea on many different levels. I think I'm going to change my mind here. Now I'm going to go to Tarshish. And uh, that's not going to go well with God, so I'm just going to kind of keep it on the down low. I'm going to disguise myself. I'm going to hide behind some plants. I'm going to wear a sailor's cap. I'm going to board this ship. By the way, he pays to run from God. Not good money. And he boards his ship, and he's heading this way now, right? And it doesn't go so well. And so, God reveals it in His own way that, Jonah, you're going to die and all these guys are going to die if you don't repent. So Jonah realizes his folly from trying to run from the Lord, right? And he trusts the Lord. This is the first moment he trusts the Lord. And now, they throw him overboard and a rather unique form of transportation takes him back the other way and lays him right out there. He has a great conversation from there to here. We'll get to it. And as he's here, he continues on to Nineveh. This is what the word repentance means. It means to turn. It means to turn. To turn, you have to trust. Help me with that. To turn, you have to what? Let's say it all together. To turn, you have to trust. You have to. Repentance leads to trust. Second, remembrance leads to trust. What we participate in the Lord's table, we do so because the Lord said, commanded to us, do this in what? Remembrance of me. How many of us have made choices or we have turned in our navigation because suddenly we remembered something good or to the bad? How many of us have driven away from the home and then we realized we left the oven on and we turned and drove back because that would be bad? How many of us had an opportunity present itself for healing or engagement with someone that we care about or a trip somewhere and so we turned from going this direction and we went this direction because we trust the opportunity and the remembrance is fond. It's beautiful. And so to remember who our God is and why we participate in the Lord's table is to keep that fresh so that we don't enter into a a time of being a spiritual runaway. This is one of the reasons that we believe that it might be really good for us to practice this on a weekly basis. Lastly, realism leads to trust. Have you ever met someone who's just in denial? Your pastor has been in denial. I was going to make some joke about being in Egypt and, you know, the whole thing, but I'm not going to do that because it would have been really bad and cheesy. So just disregard the cheesy joke I spared you from. And we'll go with this one. 
Unfortunately, your pastor has been in denial this year that his football team was going to be different. Yeah, I booked Tarshish. I booked Tarshish, and, and I'll tell you right now, I'm right back to Nineveh. I am right back to Nineveh. Because that's the realism. My heart said, I want this. I believe I can. This is good. No, come on, man. This is the Chargers. This is the Chargers you're talking about. Now, I use that as an easy hit or an easy quip, but let's really think about this. The realism of where we are in life, we want to blame God for sometimes. Is it God's fault? Or was it a result of our own choices? Is it a result because we've been a spiritual runaway? What happens with the Ninevites is a result of God's compassion. What happens with Jonah is a result of God's continual and unrelenting work with Jonah to say, you need to understand my will. And you need to grow in this. The idea is, let's deal with what's real. Not what we think might happen or not happen. Let's deal with what is real. What is it you and I can believe in that is real? That Christ came. That He fulfilled the prophecy as Messiah. That Christ died on the cross. That Christ fulfilled hundreds of prophecies that were impossible to fulfill. And that Christ, just like He said, in an impossible manner would raise on the third day, and He did. That's real. If it were not real, you would not be here. Ipso facto. Deal with what is real. Remember Remember who your God is and it will lead to trust. Repentance is a great key towards practicing trust. This morning as we continue in our worship, it's a bit of a uh, dramatic start to Jonah. But that's what's in verses 1-3. through three. The challenge for you and I is what will we do with this demonstration of God's man losing his trust in God and becoming a spiritual runaway. How will we examine in our own lives what we should do with that and how we can deal with that and deal with what's real in our lives? Not be in a sense of denial. Let me pray this morning and then we have a special uh, video in honor of Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And we'll continue, <coughs> continue in worship. Father, this morning as we come before You, it is our privilege, it is our pleasure to recognize the wisdom in Your Word. It is our responsibility to keep afresh Your position on the throne and to act in accordance, lovingly in accordance with great trust that You are God, we are not God. And that yes, sometimes You hand us tests that are incredibly difficult and incredibly challenging. But Lord, we can remember how You have done that over and over in our own lives. And then definitely, Father, as we peruse through Scripture and learn and examine about the lives of the patriarchs or others in the New Testament, Father, we can see how You worked on their behalf 
even when you challenged them, you worked on their behalf. And they did so gladly because they trusted you. And because you remained God, they did not try to hide from your presence and become spiritual runaways. Let your Spirit work within our hearts today and lift us up so that we examine our own minds, our own hearts, and we see how much Jonah might be in us versus the ones that can spiritually thrive. Speak to us, Father. Thank You for all that You do. Make these words come alive in our life and lead us to repentance as necessary. Amen.